Good morning, Journey. How's everyone doing today? Doing good? Sounds wonderful. All right, wonderful. It's good to be with you here today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Christian Gracia. I'm on the ministry team here at Journey as the church planting resident, which means I'm preparing to plant a church in the near future, learning all the things from Journey, and it's been a wonderful time. Came here in January 2021. At that point in my life, me and my team were a team of four. I had a wife and two little kids. And last week, July 6th, we had a life-changing event we added to the team. Yes, clap. Yeah, go for it. Clap for me. I did all the work. And there he is. That's Judah right there. That is our third little guy. Uh, we have a first, our oldest is Karis, and we have Zion. And now we got this dude who looks adorable and is not that cute at one in the morning. Okay? So uh, soak it up. Fun fact. I forgot to say this in the first service. All three of my children are born in the month of July. Tomorrow is my daughter's fifth birthday. Friday is going to be my son's third birthday. He was obviously born last week. Um, all six days late. Weird, right? And all born in the three o'clock hour. So I don't know what that means, but I'm all for consistency. So praise the Lord for sovereignty in that. But thank you so much for your prayers, for you guys reaching out to us and our family. We have felt so loved and supported by you guys. And I really do love the fact that one of my children now will always be a native Missourian who is born here for reminding me of this season with you guys. And hopefully... As I never forget you, you never forget me. But we're not here to talk about that today. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew 16. We are going to be continuing our series today. We've been in for quite some time called The Kingdom. We really are entering into the third phase. Uh, We've been in two so far. The first one was Kingdom Foundations. We talked about how we need to build a worldview of the world that we were living in. How are we going to live in this kingdom? What are things that go on in this kingdom? How does it work? And then we just finished up the second phase, which is all about kingdom citizens. We looked at some people that we find in the Bible and in the kingdom. We dissected and deconstructed how they lived, what they did, to try to figure out how we can adopt some of the things that they did, some things they didn't do, so that we can be better citizens of the kingdom. And today we'll kick off our third phase of our series kingdom mindset. We're going to be talking about what are the traits, what are the characteristics of our mind that we need to develop in order to live rightly, spiritually in the world. And the mental area of our life is one of the most important areas that we have. In fact, the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest missionaries in church history, wrote 13 books in the New Testament. He would write about the importance of the mind as one of the main primary ways that you and I are changed or transformed. Look what he says in Romans 12, verse 2. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So having the right mindset is critical to living in the kingdom. If we're not renewed by having the proper mind, we'll be conformed to things that we don't want to be conformed by, into the world and everything else around us. So the next few weeks, we're going to be building a mindset. How do we develop the right mind to do just that? And it'll be pretty Really good weeks, I can guarantee you. But before we jump into Matthew 16, would you bow your heads with me and pray as we always do before we read our text for today? Just in that moment, take a deep breath and let it out. Just settle into this moment right now. Just in your heart, ask God to help you focus, to listen today. I know there's all the things happening outside these walls to take your attention and focus, text messages, calls, 
families, events, things to get done. Just ask God for the grace to set this moment aside, this time to listen to him. Father, we need you to speak to us today. And not only speak to us, we need you to help us understand what you're saying and where you're leading us. I pray that you would speak directly to each and every person listening today in the room and those online, that you would help us follow you more faithfully. Father, we need you today. We love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Matthew 16, verses 1 through 12, where we be today. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We have all the scripture. It will be on the screen behind me or on the screen next to me. Also, if you are taking notes, the bulletin had an insert for you to follow along so you know where we're at in the message, as well as the JCI app. We'll have scriptures, quotes, and all the things you need if you want to follow along. Matthew 16, verse 1 says this, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red and in the morning. Today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. Verse 5, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. Verse 8, aware of the discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So a few weeks ago, we have a ministry here at Journey called Journey Young Adults. So if you're a young adult in the room, or if, you have, if you're a parent and you have a student, oh, shout out to yeah, let's go. Okay, you guys. Call me off guard. So obviously, they go to it, um, and they're big fans, and they actually, some of them help run it. It's a great ministry for any young adults. If you're looking for a place for a community or to grow, we've been doing our thing this summer. It's been a really fun time. A few weeks ago, we kicked off a series called Stand, talking about the, the need for us, our young people, to be able to stand in the midst of the culture today. I don't know if there's a, a stronger message that could be preached to the younger adults of our generation today. So we're talking about a few things that we need to have transformed and kind of set firm so we can stand well. And the first week, one of our interns actually right here, Riley Clary, she taught uh, that first week and she taught on the importance of our head, the, the importance of having the right beliefs and knowledge, knowledge and thoughts and taking care of the things that we take into our head so that we can be faithful followers of Jesus. And after her message, we got into our small groups like we do every week. And I was leading a group of guys in place of another leader. And she had a discussion question that just hadn't left me. She had us discuss a question that night that asked this, are you settling for a mediocre relationship with Jesus? Are you settling for a mediocre relationship with Jesus? It's a convicting question, right? Challenging to think about that, to ask yourself and to be honest in answering it. And in fact, that's what's really stuck out to me since then. It's not so much the question, but the responses in the group that I was leading, every guy that I had answered Yes, that they were settling for a mediocre relationship with Jesus. But here's the thing, not because they wanted to, 
They wanted a more vibrant relationship with Jesus. They wanted more from the Christian life. But the issue was they just didn't know how to go forward. They felt, well, maybe you have felt before or maybe you feel today, stuck. They just didn't know how to keep going, how to break through the plateau that they had run in spiritually. And so we talked around that. It was a great conversation. But as I studied this passage this last week, the Lord just brought to my mind, as I studied the people in this story and their issues and the conversations with Jesus, I just felt like, man, there's some lessons here about people who get stuck in their faith, who stop going forward. And today, I think what's going to be helpful is we're going to talk about uh, three different things, reasons why maybe you and I get stuck. You may be one of these reasons. You may be all three of them. Whatever it is, the hope today is by dissecting them and talking about them, looking at them, and answering some honest questions, we might discover a way to break loose so that we can get unstuck because we don't want to stay stuck. Amen? We don't want to stay stuck. Amen? Amen. So let's get unstuck. That's the goal today is to learn how we can do that. And the first reason that we learn from this passage of why we get stuck is this, by waiting for the unnecessary. We get stuck by waiting for the unnecessary. This is going to be focusing primarily on the Pharisees and the Sadducees talking with Jesus. Look at the first four verses in Matthew 16. The Pharisees and Sadducees come to Jesus and they want to test him. So they ask him to show them a sign and Jesus rebukes him. He says, you know how to tell the weather, if it's going to be a good day or a not good day, clear skies, rainy skies. I don't know if they could have done that if they lived in Kansas City because we had bipolar weather here. But regardless, Jesus knew they knew how to tell the weather well. They know how to do that, but they don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. They don't know how to see that Jesus was who he said he was by all the things he had already done. And so they're asking for another sign from heaven. And Jesus says, you're not going to get a sign from me. You have everything you need. The only sign left I'm going to give you is a sign of Jonah, which scholars believe mostly to be a reference to what he was about to go do a few days in the future, when he was going to go to the cross and die and then resurrect himself three days later. Just like Jonah spent three nights in the belly of a fish, Jesus was going to spend three days in the earth and then rise again. And that was going to be his final sign that he was going to deliver for the rest of the ages. And even then, they weren't going to believe because they don't. And he knew that. But as we look at this interaction with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there is a not-so-genuine desire, but the appearance of one that wants to believe and wants to follow Jesus, but they just need one more sign. They want to see a sign from heaven to know, are you really the guy that we've been hearing of, the Messiah from all the prophets? Are you really him? And Jesus is like, you, you know I am him. You're just being hard-hearted. So if we deconstruct the heart behind the Pharisees and Sadducees, I want to ask a question, do we see this today in the church? Maybe not with wrong motives, right? No one's in here trying to catch Jesus or anything, but are we maybe like them, stuck and not going forward because we're waiting for him to give us more before we take a step of faith? Do we see that in the church today? I think we do. I think there are thousands, if not more Christians, who are simply stuck because they're waiting for Jesus to give them more reason to move than he already has. And they refuse to go forward. Whether it's due to stubbornness, whether it's they don't think they need to get involved in church or what we do because they don't feel like God has called them to that yet, or maybe genuine confusion. They want to know God's will, but they have no idea what it is. 
And so what people do, for some reason in the church, when they aren't sure what to do, they default to doing nothing rather than something. And they sit. And they get stuck. Because they're waiting for something, as I say, the unnecessary. But what we see in Jesus, the point he teaches here is this. Jesus doesn't give us everything we want to believe. He gives only what is necessary to follow him. He doesn't give us everything we want to believe and step out. He only gives what is necessary, what we need to follow him. I'd say it this way. You have everything you need today to be faithful to Jesus. You have every evidence and reason and proof to trust him and to follow him today. Which means you can stop waiting for the unnecessary extra things. Because the sad news is, unfortunately, they probably aren't coming. But more importantly, they probably wouldn't help you anyway. I think it's normal to think that if we could see some crazy miracle or signs, maybe you're not like me, but like I think this way, if we can see the spectacular, our faith would be bulletproof. If we could see incredible things that Jesus would do, a sign from heaven, we'd be the best Christians in the nation. But biblically, we actually don't see that be the case. Hebrews is a great book in the New Testament. It writes about the people of God who were delivered from Egypt. Look what it has to say about them. It says this in Hebrews 3, 16 through 19. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. In other words, the people group labeled unbelieving, rebellious, disobedient, and sinful witnessed the greatest event in Old Testament history, the deliverance of the people of God from Egypt. If you know your Bible in any shape or form in the Old Testament, that's a constant reference that God uses to his people of saying, remember who I am to you. I delivered you from Egypt. For thousands of years, they'll hear about that one event. And the people who witness that one event are labeled as unbelieving. Meaning this, those who saw the ten plagues, they didn't believe. Those who witnessed guidance by a pillar of cloud and fire, rebellious. Those who walked through the parted Red Sea, disobedient. Those who received manna every morning and new shoes every day, sinful. The point being made is that the generation that saw the miracles we sing songs about today, like we did 10 minutes ago, were those that were known to be full of unbelief and rebellion. I'm convicted. I don't know about you, because I personally think, even after reading that, that if I were them, I would have believed. I think I would have actually had better faith than they. But that's because a great lie that we can fall into as Christians is believing this. That we are the exception, and we're not. We would have not done any better had we walked with Moses out of Egypt, seen all the miracles and the signs God did. You and I would not be these obedient, faithful people because signs and wonders do not create faith. And Jesus knew that about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, it's not going to be enough to win you over. If you're not convinced by my word, you're not convinced by me, Nothing I can do is going to sway you. So we can stop waiting then. Because it's not even going to help us. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about 
praying through serious decisions. For instance, me planting a church. I did not come to that decision lightly. In fact, those who know me well know it was a painstakingly long process. But I understood that something as serious as that should be steeped in prayer, taking 40 days to pray and fast, having counsel speak into it, waiting on the Lord. Sometimes seasons, we need to sit and wait for the Lord to make things clear and speak to us. But that doesn't mean we do nothing. I'm talking more about daily faithfulness to Jesus is what we need to be able to do no matter what. And you may be thinking, okay, I hear you. I'm done waiting. I'm someone right now stuck, and I've been waiting for the unnecessary. I just don't know what he wants me to do. I have really good news for you. He left us some good hints of exactly what we can do. So I'll make it really practical for you. I thought of seven things today that God has called you and me to that we can know for sure. Like take it to the bank. God wants you to do these things, to grow your faith, to be in some form of spiritual community, to use your gifts for the church, to make disciples, share in God's global mission, care for the vulnerable, care for those in the church. These are things like you do not have to guess or be afraid to step out and do. In fact, let's say this, you don't even have to pray about it. That sounds unchurchy, right? But it's true because he's already spoken and he's called us to it. And don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say this is the list that you do and you accomplish and you're the best Christian in the world and Jesus will love you more. Jesus loves you because Jesus loves you, not based on your performance. Let's get that clear. Amen? Amen. But this is the things God has invited us into, what he saved us to do. Ephesians 2.10 says he's made us, created us for good works that we should walk in them. I'm looking at seven of them right now. Things that we get to do that he has called us to do. And we believe the way of Jesus is a better way of life because he knows how life is intended to be lived. So the question is, not if you should be doing these, but how. You look at that list right now, not out loud, but just thinking, how are you seeing this take place in your life? Or are you? Maybe you're someone right now that's like, that's not happening, but I want it to happen. I just don't know how. I got even better news for you. You're sitting in a church that is designed to help you do just that. Outside on this wall, we got six core beliefs. Multiplication, generosity, spiritual growth, local impact, global impact, and sharing Jesus. I would wager if you go through the whole New Testament, about a little over a thousand commands in the New Testament that we're called to follow and fulfill, that those would find a home in one of those core beliefs. That's important because those core beliefs inform every single thing we do in this church. Because we're designed to not only be faithful to Jesus, but help you be faithful to Jesus. So if you don't know how, we got people who would love to help you take your next step. Growth track is something we talk about every week. Not because we like how it sounds, not because we think it's fun, although it is, but we have designed it to help you to discover who you are, how you've been shaped, and where you fit in God's plan, how you can find community. We want to walk with you to help you not have a mediocre relationship with Jesus, but a vibrant, full one to get unstuck. But interestingly enough, one of the ways to get unstuck is simply just to move, to take a step. So the question out of this point is, what are you waiting for? You sitting right there, what is the thing? What's the step? What are you waiting for? that you believe God is calling you to. Maybe it's one of the things that I have on the screen there. You just know that's your next step. Whatever it is, what is it? 
We believe here at Journey that one of our core beliefs, spiritual growth, is that everyone has a next step. The reality of my life and your life as followers of Jesus is we take one step, and guess what? The next job is to discern the next step. And after that, what's the next step? And it's one step at a time that we follow him. We don't have to have the big picture. We have to have all the answers. We just need to take the next step. We've got to stop waiting for the unnecessary. The second reason we get stuck is by forgetting past faithfulness. We get stuck by forgetting past faithfulness, God's faithfulness to us. Look with me in verses 5 through 11. After Jesus gets done with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they hop in a boat. And at this moment, the disciples realize they've made a mistake. They forgot to bring bread. In Mark's gospel account, actually, it says they only brought one loaf of bread. And if you know anything about a group of men, one loaf of bread is not going to cut it. So they're panicking because they just forgot what they need. And Jesus takes an opportunity as a great teacher and teaches them a lesson that he just had from his interaction with the Pharisees and Sadducees and says, be careful, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The disciples put on a great display of geniusness here. And they go on to say, it is because we didn't bring any bread. We should be thankful for the disciples, all right? Like we need to just praise God that we have them in the Bible because it helps us understand that we don't have to be the sharpest tool in the shed. Amen? I mean, like, come on, guys. Like, they're like, we didn't bring your bread. That's what he's talking to us. And Jesus, hearing the discussion, and I'm just imagining a deep sigh, says, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having bread? Do you not understand? Don't you remember? And he goes on to talk about the five loaves with the 5,000 or the seven loaves with the 4,000. He's like, how is it do you understand what I'm talking about here? Jesus is trying to teach the disciples a lesson about the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they totally miss it because they are distracted by the fact that they did not bring enough food. So we get a bonus lesson from Jesus that we get to glean from rebuking them for their little faith. I think that it can be summed up in verse 9, him asking them, don't you remember? If you look in your Bibles and you see that big 16 number there, marking chapter 16, you look up just an inch, you'll notice the thing Jesus literally just did was feed 4,000 people, which would have been around 15 to 20,000, including women and children. So they might be a day removed from this, and they're in a boat lacking bread or not having enough bread, and they're concerned that they don't have enough food. And Jesus is like, guys, guys, I've done this twice. If I wanted more bread, I'd make bread. But the disciples totally miss it. And it's easy to feel like they're fools, right? Right, to think like, We would never do that again because we're better. But we're not much different than them because they let an earthly need shadow their heavenly provider. Worried about the provision that they didn't have when in the boat with them was the provider who creates things out of nothing. And we're not much different, right? For them, it was food. Maybe it is for you, like you're lacking food today. Or it's just the bills are piling up. Bills got to be paid. You don't know how to pay them. Gas prices are soaring through the sky. The car needs to be fixed. Marriage gets difficult. Raising kids gets complicated. You have a newborn. I don't know. Single life gets discouraging and lonely. Whatever it is. Have we not ever let an earthly need or difficulty overshadow who God is? I know I have. Many times, over and over again, despite what he has just done, a lot of times I could feel like doom and gloom. And see, one of the two things that are going to mobilize our faith more than any of them, anything else would be fear and doubt. 
fear of the unknown and what's to come and doubt that God is actually going to provide for us, that he's actually going to come through, that he's actually for us and not against us. That's one of my main struggles in life, being immobilized by the fear of the unknown and doubt that God's got my back. But here's the point that we learn from Jesus' rebuke of the disciples. We have to have long-term memory of God's faithfulness to have long-term faithfulness to God. We got to have long-term memory of God's faithfulness, what he has done in our lives in order to have long-term faithfulness to God that we keep going forward. I just had a real life experience of this just last week. When I married my wife, I knew what I was getting. One of the things of all the things that she provides and who she is, a wonderful person, is a baby whisperer. The woman is a professional since she's been like six years old, she's dreamed of like having children. And I've wanted a big family too. We've always talked about having like four or five kids. We've scaled back since then. <laughs> but she wanted to have kids. I want to have kids. And I knew I've watched her as a nanny with any baby, any age, just absolutely own it. And I was like, this is going to be a sitch. Like we, we're good. I just got to show up. Like I just got to say, what do you need? Nothing great. Didn't think so. Because she's going to handle the whole deal. Like she's going to be the best. I was confident in that until we had our firstborn. We had our daughter, Karis, and my baby girl broke Hannah. And that's when I said, oh, no, this ain't supposed to happen. She was supposed to be an angel. This one was supposed to be the, the baby whisperer, and now we're, we are deep in it right now. Lord, what happened? I got some things backed up. In fact, I got some friends in town, Mike and Madison over here, Fair. They are from Vegas, going to be missionaries in the new future in Southeast Asia. Shout out to them for coming here. Yep. So... They actually witnessed, and one phase of, of our upbringing of Karis, we let her, you know, do the cry it out phase. And these people sat in my living room in a condo and through screamings of like horror films, played cards with me. And they're still friends with me today. Like they're going to have, you're going to need therapy for the things you heard. But like they were with me in it. It was a dark time, right? Two years later, we have Zion. And it's like, here we go. Little Bubba. Can't wait. It's going to be different because, you know, he's a boy. He's not a girl. Let's see how he acts. And, you know, it was wonderful, except for he came out with the scream of a pterodactyl. And I was like, no, like, God, God, you're supposed to give me a, a gentle angel. You know, this guy's got so much rage and anger. Now, granted, he was better at sleeping. Karis took like nine months. He got the program pretty quick. But he's still, you know, a little hot-headed. And we had just got a rhythm with Karis of like how she would go to bed. And it's like babysitter's easy. Hey, just sit on our couch and breathe. She'll be fine. We're going to go on a date. We got it. And then we had a newborn. They're like, why do we do this to ourselves? And that's when we had the conversation of like how many kids is necessary. So <laughs> then we had Judah last week. And we only spent a day in the hospital. We came July 6th on Wednesday. We got to go home in the afternoon on Thursday. And we're getting ready to go to bed in our room, and we're climbing in there, and Hannah looks at me, I look at her, and she says, here we go. And I say back to her, here we go. Baby number three, night one. And you're thinking of all the things of your experiences of raising the two other ones. May not be the easiest things in the world, but you're remembering the emotions, the fear, the despair. But this time around was a little different. It was like we knew it was coming. It was like we've been here. Not only have we been here, but I've seen God walk us through what we were in before, time and time again. Look, it sounds funny, but listen, parents, you know, when you're with that baby in the wee hours of the morning, there's things that rise up in you that's like, man, I hope Jesus doesn't even see this because this is that. Like, <laughs> you just listen. It is a test of faith. 
And a part of walking with Jesus is every part of your life is included in walking with him. And so, man, you're crying out to him. You're praying. Your prayers are different those days. And so I'm looking back, and I'm like, I know that he was faithful. It's just a season. We'll get through it. We'll sleep again. Life will be normal. Like, this is a blessing. We're good. Even he has his worst night last night, by the way. It was wonderful. As I was laying there with him, just thinking about today's sermon and this point, I was like, I got to have integrity. Thank you, Jesus, for this moment. Like, this is it. And when I just had Karis, I didn't have another baby to look back to. Honestly, I was like, man, he saved me from death, hell, and the grave. He could save me from a newborn. Like, we're going to be okay. We're going to see the light, okay? But that's what it means to walk with Jesus, is to look back and scavenge for any faithfulness to look forward with hope. And that's what we've done. Whether it's with kids, bills, marriage, difficulties, whatever it is, we have not failed to look back. Because sometimes that's all you can do. You're terrified of, of what's going to come. It's like, well, has he been here before? Yes. And sometimes even then you've got to remind yourself he will do it again. Because the human condition is we'll constantly find a way to not believe that. But to have long-term faithfulness to God, we've got to have a long-term memory of his faithfulness. Now, this assumes a few things in your life, one of which assumes you're walking with Jesus through every part of your life. You might be thinking, am I not doing that? I don't know. You've got to answer the question for yourself. Are you depending and leaning on him in every season of your life? Or are you kind of muscling your way through life on your own strength? Like when's the last time the things that you were going through in your life that you took to the Lord in prayer, whether it be your job or your family, are you walking with him in such a way that you are building a bank of faithfulness to see how he brought you through the last season and the season before? Or are you living life kind of brute force? thinking, I'll figure it out my way. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. I can do this. Which one are you doing? What does your life look like? If we don't have this in place in our life, if we don't look back and remember who he is and what he's done, we won't go forward. Fear and doubt will win and we will stay stuck. So paradoxically, we got to look back so we can look forward. We got to remember the faithfulness of God. A third and final reason, though, we get stuck is by drifting off course. Waiting for the unnecessary, forgetting past faithfulness, and lastly, by drifting off course. Look at me in the last verse we have today, verse 12. Then they understood, about time, disciples finally got it, that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread. That sense alone sounds hilarious. But against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So after Jesus rebukes them of their little faith, and eventually they get what he's saying, they understand now he's not getting at the literal yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, but kind of the metaphorical sense. Yeast and leaven, as it translates sometimes, is used as a way to make dough rise before you bake it into a loaf of bread. If you make bread, you know this, you've seen this, you've witnessed it. My wife actually makes bread at home. She loves making sourdough. She started in the year 2020 when everyone started making sourdough. The world was ending. Everyone thought sourdough's it. That's the answer. So they just started making sourdough. So my first experience with sourdough was interesting because I overheard Hannah say one day, oh, I forgot to feed my sourdough. And I thought, what? (laughs) Feed what? Feed who? You're feeding bread? And then she explained to me the process. Then I'm not going to get into details, but developing sourdough is like raising a child, like creating the concoction that you need to make it active and alive. And then once you have finally reached a place where you can use it in celebration of this thing that you've nourished, you murder it and bake into a loaf of bread, and then you eat it. So it's a beautiful picture of the circle of life. It really is, of making bread. 
So I've witnessed the importance of that, of how you need some natural yeast to make the dough rise, and you get delicious bread. That's what it literally is used for. Figuratively, though, yeast or leaven is used to kind of demonstrate negative influence. Not always. We actually saw Matthew 13 when it was used in a positive way for the kingdom. But for the most part of the time, it is used negatively to be weary of, which is what Jesus is saying. In fact, when the people of Israel left Egypt, they initially took with them unleavened cakes of bread because they were representing that they were leaving a pagan culture and they were going to leave no trace of it in their life. There was no leaven or yeast of Egyptians as they were being delivered by God. But then Jesus tells them to be on guard, which can literally mean to take care or pay attention to. It has a sense of being cautious or alert to be wary of. But when it's used in a nautical sense for ships and sailors, it's, it means to hold a ship in a direction to hold one's course toward a place. So Jesus here is teaching the disciples. He's communicating them the need to keep their course of following him. Do not get distracted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees or anything else that's negatively influencing them, but to keep their course and follow him. That would be a big deal for the disciples. Because Pharisees and Sadducees, for them, actually represented a much bigger picture of their life. Look what John MacArthur says in his commentary of Matthew, talking about this moment. He says, The disciples stood at a crossroads as they decided whether or not to hold on to the system in which they were reared and identified themselves with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, whom they had been trained to respect and honor. These were the people they looked up to. Those were their pastors, their churches, to figure out how to live faithful lives as Jews. They looked up to them to follow every part of their life. Now they're at a point in time where they're being asked to choose between those that you looked up to formerly or this guy named Jesus. And, of course, they chose right. The 12 did not hesitate in following Jesus. And when he crossed back to the eastern Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee, they came to the other side with him. They genuinely sought God's light, and they knew Jesus was himself that light. The disciples, as foolish and silly as they can be, spiritually were able to see that Jesus was the promised Messiah, unlike the most theologically trained people who should have seen it, didn't. And so really what this is shaping up to be, this warning from Jesus is a call to forget and let go of their former life. To be careful or not to allow old influences creep in and stall their faithfulness to him. This is the point Jesus was getting across. In order to faithfully follow Jesus, we have to fully leave behind our former way of life. If we're going to faithfully follow Jesus, we have to fully leave behind who we once were. Whether you've been in church for a while or for a minute, you may have heard that a lot of times the Christian life is about sacrifice. It's about loss in order to gain the greatest thing, right? Jesus said that those who would find their life would first have to lose it and find it in Jesus alone. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is a verse that says that we are literally new creations in Christ. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. We're completely different creations once we get saved, which means that there should be life change as we walk with Jesus, There should be evidences of our following him. Everyone in this room, if you are a Jesus follower today, has had to leave something behind. My question to you today is, what is that? What was it for you? What have you left behind in order to follow Jesus? Have you left something behind? 
Or are there things in your life that are still holding on? Whether they're holding on to you or you're holding on to them. Are there things in your life, other, other old habits, bad relationships, old ways of life, whatever it is, what are those things that might be creeping into your faith, like the yeast and the leaven, trying to sarrow it, trying to stall your faith? What is that for you? Does your faith, does your life look any different because of your faith? Because Jesus is saying, in order to follow him, we got to leave everything behind that we once knew, which is going to make some changes in our life. But here's the key. We don't just choose to let go of our former life just by choice. We do it looking forward to something better and more valuable. In fact, in the book of Philippians, a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, he's describing his old way of life, how he's counted it all as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And then he gets to the point where he kind of talks about his own journey, what he's currently trying to do. And look what he says. He says this in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's a powerful verse, isn't it? Of Paul admitting, I am a person in process. I am not perfect, but I am straining forward, trying to take hold of Jesus because he's taken hold of me. I'm trying to forget what's behind me and I'm trying to look forward to what's ahead. See, the Christian life, we've got to do really two things. We have to remember and forget. We've already talked about the things we have to remember. Remember who God is, what he's done in our life, his faithfulness. But we also have to simultaneously forget who we once were, where we've been, where we come from, so we can look ahead and strive forward to the prize. You may be wondering exactly what is that prize? What exactly is Paul looking forward to? What is the goal of his faith? I think mainly what is that usually described as? And when you go to church, you hear this thing called eternal life, right? I think every Christian, rightfully, is hoping that after we die, we're going to have eternal life with Jesus. That's what we always hear in church. That's the the big payoff at the end of our life. And I think it's true. I think that's what Paul is talking about, that heavenward call in Christ Jesus. But I wonder if sometimes we forget what eternal life actually is. And I want to let Jesus himself describe it in John 17, verse 3. Look what he says about it. He says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Journey, maybe the greatest reason we get stuck in our faith is because we believe that the outcome of our faith comes after we die. Once we are dead and gone, that's when eternal life begins. And I want you to know that it's not true. Eternal life started for you the moment you began a relationship with Jesus. And that's the whole point of yours and mine life is to know him more and more. The word know is not just a knowledge of gaining facts, but experiencing the person of Jesus. It's not having a mediocre relationship with Jesus, but it's having this vibrant, flourishing relationship with him, walking with him every day and knowing more of who he is. And in doing that, experiencing the fullness of life he came to bring. 
not something that we're just hoping to experience once we die. We're not just hoping this all pays off. We know right now it pays off. Testimony of my own life, it pays off. Jesus is worth it. Knowing him and walking with him right now, eternal life, I'm in it. And I don't know about you, but I think that's incredibly calming and peace-giving to understand I have the goal. I have the prize. What life is all about, not about money, not about fame, not about relationships, not about people necessarily. It's all about Jesus. And guess what? If you know, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you already have it. You already have the point of life. And our goal is not dripped off to the left or the right, but to keep our course to fix our eyes on Jesus and to follow him. And really that's the heart of our first mindset in this part of our series. Kingdom Mindset 1 says this, those with a kingdom mindset know they have everything they need to trust Jesus today by looking back on what he has done in the past to faithfully follow him into the future. Those with a kingdom mindset are not waiting. They're not waiting to get involved. They're not waiting to take a step They know they can trust him today because of what he's done in the past and look forward to the future with hope, knowing that Jesus is the goal. I'm gonna close with a quote today. I've been thinking a lot about you people in the room that you might be feeling stuck today. You might be someone that, man, when I asked that question, are you settling for a mediocre relationship with Jesus inside? You you were admitting, I am. But you don't wanna be, you just kind of are. And really the big idea of this message of how to get unstuck, like I said before, is to get moving, to take that step, to not wait to have all the answers and information, but to step out right now in faith because you have everything you need. And you may have heard before me teach, I'm not Mr. Big Faith on stage. I'm Mr. Skeptical. I'm Mr. I need to calculate everything. I need reasons. I need like facts. I like to have firmness in my steps, not just kind of like, you know, tiptoeing around. I need to know for a fact we're good. Now, luckily, God does not wait for me because that's not reality. And he used a quote in a book called If by Mark Batterson a few years ago that really helped propel me forward in a time of my faith where I felt stuck. And I just thought of it the other day. As I was thinking about you and praying about you, I thought, man, this might be something powerful to share. Look what he says. Talking about psychologists and them talking about this idea of regret. He says this, time is a key factor in what we regret. In short term, we tend to regret actions more than inactions by a count of 53 to 47%. In other words, we feel acute regret over the mistakes we've made. But over the long haul, get this, we regret inactions more than actions, 84 to 16%. That doesn't mean we won't have some deep-seated regrets about things we wish we hadn't said or done. I know I do. But our longest-lasting regrets will be the opportunities we left on the table. Those are the if-onlys that haunt us to the grave and beyond. I don't know about you, but I didn't want to lead a life of faith to look back and say, if only I had been faithful to step out. If only I had pushed myself to get moving. I want to live the most faithful life I can to Jesus. I'm not going to do it perfectly like Paul. Not perfect. But I'm going to strain forward without all the answers, with all the information, knowing that I know who Jesus is. He's given me everything I need to follow him and to step out. So my question is the same as earlier. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for to step out? Would you pray with me as we close today? 
eyes closed, heads bowed all around the room. I just want to talk to a few people right now. For those who don't know Jesus, you might be in here wondering, maybe this Jesus guy is the answer. Maybe you came here not knowing why, but you feel like there's something that you can find or discover to fill the hole in your heart. I want you to know Jesus is the answer. And yes, the Christian life is not an easy one. Yes, it comes with loss. Yes, it comes with a cost. Yes, it comes with sacrifice. But believe it or not, it's worth it for Jesus. And maybe you're someone today, you feel stuck in life in general. You want to get out of where you are, the pain that you're in, the mistakes you've made. Maybe you're sitting here with a ton of regret. I want you to know Jesus came and died for you to cover all the things you would ever do so you could be forgiven in him, to walk, to know him, to have eternal life. If you're someone today that wants to begin a relationship with Jesus, you can. I'm just going to walk you through a really simple prayer that you can just say in your heart, not out loud, something like this, that would just be a demonstration of your surrender and your beginning of relationship with Jesus. You just say, just admit, Jesus, I need you. I need you to forgive me of my sin, to cleanse me of my past, to heal me of my hurt. Jesus, I need you to do that so you can lead me into your future. I surrender my life to you and your purpose. By faith, I ask for your salvation and I commit to following you. Not knowing what that looks like, not having all the answers, but just knowing this moment that if God is speaking to you, you want to respond, you want to follow him. If you pray that prayer right now, if you want to talk to someone about that, I'll give you some instructions in just a moment. But for the Christians in the room, a lot of talked about today. And as you sit in your seat, I want to ask the question again, what are you waiting for? What are you looking for? What is your next step? Could be some of the things I put on the screen. Could be something you know specifically. What is that for you? Are you settling for a mediocre relationship with Jesus? Are you stuck in your faith? waiting for the unnecessary? Have you forgotten God's faithfulness? Or has there been something that's crept back into your life from your old life that has caused you to drift off course? What is it for you? Today, you can get back on track by just keeping your eyes on Jesus and staying the course. Starting today, not waiting for tomorrow, but looking back and believing his faithfulness to go forward into the future. Father, we need you today. God, I pray for grace for everyone in the room that you would not let them stay stuck. And Lord, if I know anything about spiritual growth, it's not a linear line. Lord, it's confusing, it's frustrating, it's slow. But you're faithful through and through. So maybe today what they need is just hope to know that it won't always be this way. Maybe they just need to know that the season they're in will eventually change and end. Lord, for those that you have given clarity on their next step, God, give them a shove so that they would take that step. 
Lord, we know that you can and only you can help us and we know you will. So I pray for grace for myself and for everyone here watching online, Lord. Move us, use us, God. And most of all, help us to understand that we have the prize that is fulfilling and lasting in the person of Jesus. Would you make that like new today, God? We love you, Lord. We need you and pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.